This morning we've got something a little different for you, something really unique and special. I'm excited this morning to introduce a guest speaker who's not really a guest. It's actually my wife, Carrie Stevens. And Carrie, of course, has been a campus missionary in this church for a number of years, in the past six plus years. We've served as my wife in every, every, well, you know, she's not, I'm not on staff. I mean, you know, what she's going to be talking about what she does. Uh, and so has done everything here, the nursery, children's ministry, community groups, mom stuff, decorations, classrooms, offices, all that, uh, counseling, leadership uh, galore. And so uh, she is going to be sharing with us this morning a, a great message, super encouraging, excited for you guys to hear it. You guys ready? Here we go. Love you. Come on. Am I in trouble already? I think I am. I- kind of always long. in trouble. It's a, con- it's a perpetual state. <clears throat> um, it's an honor to serve as your wife. <laughs> Anything for Jesus. I'm sorry. There's just too many things I could say. Okay. So I'm going to be speaking to you guys today about uh, stretchy pants, guacamole, and breadcrumbs. I know. If you'd like to take me more seriously, uh, you could call this message the power of vulnerable courage, but that would not be as much fun. So we're going to go with stretchy pants, guacamole, and breadcrumbs. <clears throat> you'll, also, you'll remember it better. So we've been in wisdom literature the last few weeks, and we've been gleaning, gleaning, gaining wisdom. And today we're going to go into some deep heart stuff and see how we can take that wisdom and grow on the inside because that would be awesome. And we're going to look at a blueprint Jesus gives us for how to live courageously. Now, I'm going to let you know, first of all, I'm not someone who does courage well. Um, As a small child, slept with the covers over my head because I was scared of everything. When I was 11, it was no surprise to my family that when all the other cousins were jumping off the, you know, giant 10-foot dam into the lake near my grandparents' house. Carrie had no part of that. She stood and watched and judged. Um, And even still, when I watch a movie where there's some massive worldwide catastrophic disaster, I always feel really sorry for the people who have to save the world because it looks so hard. And I actually think like those people at the beginning of the movie who the alien ship landed on are the lucky ones because they never knew what happened to them. So I am not a naturally heroic or courageous person, but I do have my small dreams, my small, safe, comfortable dreams. And when I came to Christ in college at the University of Houston 22 years ago, because I'm very old, um, I just look so young. Uh... I was really drawn. Honestly, the thing that hooked me was the idea that God had a plan for my life. I loved the thought that he had a purpose for me, a calling for me. He had a plan and a future for me. I loved that thought. I was absolutely enamored with it. And I thought, I'm following this Jesus if he has a plan for me because I wanted to know what he had planned. I just hoped what he had planned wouldn't be too hard. I thought maybe I could like wade in some peaceful living water rivers and just enjoy Jesus. But unfortunately, 
you know, he asked us to do things like forgive people when they are mean to us and hurt us and take things from us they shouldn't and are awful. And he asked us to love our enemies and he asked us to lay down our lives for our friends and he asked us to do hard things. And if our life doesn't require more courage than we can possibly muster on our own, we probably aren't really following Jesus. Okay, so we're going to talk about courage today. Now there's one key ingredient that we need to live courageous lives. Just one super important key ingredient, and I'm just going to warn you right now, it sounds like a guaranteed train wreck, but the one key ingredient we really need to live courageous lives of faith in Jesus is vulnerability. It's bad news. Sorry. So Jesus models this for us in Mark chapter 6 in this story, so we're going to pull from here. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And you know that's how they had to say it. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. That's Mark 6, 35 through 44. So the disciples look at Jesus and they go, Jesus, this is a remote place. There's nothing around here. There's nothing for these people to eat. Just send them away, Jesus. Send the people away. Go. Tell them to go find something. We can't possibly do this. We don't have enough. We are not able to cover the demand. We're never going to meet their expectations. What are we going to do, Jesus? Tell them to go away. I love this passage because it shows that Jesus does not see the disciples or our vulnerability or lack as a liability. He's not surprised. He already knows. He's not surprised. And he gives us three keys, three ways to live courageously. And they are open hands, an open mouth, and an open life. So, open hands. First, Jesus says, the first thing he says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Okay, I like to call this step in life. Those are not leggings. Okay. Now listen, I really love leggings. I think leggings are the jam. Um, I think leggings are like a dressier version of yoga pants, and so they are my favorite. I wear leggings all the time. I have even worn leggings as pants. I know that's like some grave sin I should repent for, but I'm just going to be totally transparent with you guys because I think it's important for you to know that I'm of the greasy grace camp in the area of leggings as pants. (laughs) There's my people. But a few months ago, standing in line at the Target customer service desk because Target is where moms live. I mean, you can get everything there. 
And so I'm standing there returning something, I guess. And there's this woman standing in line in front of me. She was so cute. I mean, like adorable on it fashion wise. She had these killer boots and this amazing cute sweater, flawless makeup, hair and a ponytail high and like just perfect. Not like a, I just threw my hair in a ponytail, but like I spent time making this ponytail. <clears throat> Except there's just one problem about her outfit. You guys, she was wearing tights. Like I could see her skin through them and her sweater was short. Thank you. I'm still scarred. And so now this is important. There is a difference, okay, between, you know, exposing yourself and being vulnerable. Okay. So exposing yourself and like just kind of throwing it all out there and letting people see things they shouldn't see, that's voyeurism. All right. Just write that down. That's your new word for the day, voyeurism. People don't want to see that. That's awkward. Vulnerability is different. So what's vulnerability? Vulnerability, Brene Brown defines as She says it sounds, come on, Brene. She says it sounds like truth and it feels like courage. Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. So our friend in Target, she needed, you know, when she was at home, before she went out to turn around in the mirror and take a look, right? Because from the front, see, they probably looked real pantsish, right? These tights, very pantsish. But the back of us tends to stretch things out a little bit. Okay. She needed to do what Jesus was saying. Go and see. She needed to know she was wearing an undergarment on the outside. Exposing our surfacey stuff isn't the same as acknowledging what is truth in our lives. That's not keeping it real. Okay? Acknowledging truth makes such a difference when we're seeking to live vulnerably. We have to know how low we really are, you know, how little we really actually have. I mean, it's just important for us to to find out what reality is in our lives. We need to know how far we are from being enough so that we can find the gospel to get us back to where Jesus is. So I know there aren't leggings in the Bible And that probably says something about modern fashion. But in our story of Mark 6, Jesus begins with the disciples, and they're facing a similar problem that our target friend is facing. There's not enough to stretch, right? It's not quite going to cover what needs to be covered. There's not enough to go around 
and yet everybody's got to eat. And so Jesus and disciples, they go back and forth about this. Open up your hands. What do you already have? And you know the disciples were like rolling their eyes because, hello, Jesus, we came with you. Like, we're following you. We got empty sacks and stuff, you know. We have just a couple loaves and some fish. And so the question Jesus and the disciples are really chewing on and what we are really chewing on today is if it's not going to stretch to cover what we've got, Where will the enough come from? Where will the enough come from? If God's calling us to do this, how are we going to make it happen if we don't have enough to do it? Because we live this question every day if we're really following Jesus. We think God's asking us to bankrupt ourselves, to do something he's called us to do, to just, hey, to just follow him. You think he's trying to make you be perfect, right? Like, I'm not perfect yet. But that's not what Jesus is asking of the disciples at all. He's just asking them to go see what they've already got and bring it to him. That's all Jesus is asking of us. Open up your hands, acknowledge what you've really got, and bring it to me. Because he really just wants us. He just wants our faith, our effort, our trust. He just wants our hands to come in and open before him. Because we all have stuff. I mean, you and I all, we've all got stuff. We may not have great stuff, right? We may have some dysfunctional ways of doing things and maybe some quirks that make us difficult to deal with, but we've also got some talents and we have some faith and we have some hope and we have some truth and we need to know what we do have and what we don't have to follow him and live for him. Which brings me back to the tights as leggings thing because I cannot get enough. Um, vulnerability is not about showing off or talking more or doing more. It's really about looking at God's word and taking a good look in the mirror. It grows when you ask a friend, so how am I really doing? You can be honest. That's so hard. It's so hard to let people really speak into your life. It's so hard when you see a friend whose spiritual life isn't quite stretching over her current circumstances and she's looking a little naked. It's hard to walk up to her and go, listen, I'm just going to love you where you are. I think you're amazing and I'm with you. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to stretch myself out over your life and I'm going to cover you until you find your way through this. Isn't that who you want to be? Isn't that the kind of friend you want next to you when you're walking through the hard stuff? And it's really hard when your friend comes to you and says, don't wear those pants anymore or some lady's going to talk about you in church. (laughs) But we need people like that. When Morgan and I were first married, (laughs) we went out to dinner Um, isn't it fun to be first married? You learn so much. Um, we went out to dinner with a big group of friends and we're sitting and talking and, you know, being my little gregarious self. And, uh, Morgan announces in the midst of this dinner conversation that I have something caught in my teeth, like really loudly so that everybody now is looking at my teeth. I was so mad at him and embarrassed and humiliated and vulnerable in bad ways. And um, 
<laughs> and later, of course, I laid into him really good. And I was like, I can't believe you did that to me. And he was, what? What? What do you want me to do? Sit there and let you talk to all those people with spinach caught in your teeth? And I was like, yes, I did. <laughs> but no, maybe I didn't. I don't know, actually. I just know that what I really want is for you to anticipate my every thought and feeling I ever have before I have them and handle every single situation we ever have from now until the day I die exactly how I would want you to handle it so that I never feel like this again. Is that asking so much? Our poor husbands. (laughs) oh so now we have like you know hand signals whenever I have something caught in my teeth (laughs) a peaceful marriage is possible (laughs) you know that thing in your life that terrifies you that you're not going to be able to actually pull it off That thing that when I say, Jesus asks you to forgive others, love your enemies, grow, follow him into everything, that you, that came up when I said that maybe a little bit and you just shoved it back down because it made you have butterflies in your stomach and you thought, I really think I may run away right now. I think I may, life is too hard and uh, maybe I can get a ticket to, I don't know, Iceland. Iceland sounds nice. Um, I'd like to go live in Iceland and never have to think about that ever again. That thing, that thing in your marriage that you think, This dysfunctional deal we're having right here is never going to work. That life goal you have that you think you're never going to achieve, those things, it makes you kind of sick to your stomach to think about it. Those are Jesus's spinach in the teeth signals to you. He's like, listen, go look and see. Because if we don't recognize how little we're working with in the beginning, we will never see the miracle that he wants to do. We'll never know. If Jesus had just picked up a basket and started passing it out, the disciples wouldn't have known they started with a couple loaves and a couple fish, right? They wouldn't have known. They would have just been like, and Jesus, you know, Jesus just fed everybody. No, we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, don't we? And that takes courage, and that takes vulnerability, and that takes faith. So how do we take our first steps toward being a part of something bigger than our lives? Well, Jesus gives us that first step toward finding it. And maybe even, it's probably even because of our vulnerable lack. Can't get the words out tonight. Because our lack actually motivates God's mercy. Do you realize that? If you don't... Have you ever had mercy on a person who had it all together? Like they know what they're doing. They have enough money to do it. They've got a plan. They're executing it flawlessly. No, you're kind of intimidated by them, but you're never going to be merciful to move on their behalf. Mercy happens when we need it most. Our vulnerability draws God to us, to our situations. And so once we come to God, we gather up, you know, our lack, right? Our tiny little offering, We bring it to God, and we're going to find out that Charles Spurgeon was right when he said, 
Do not despair, dear heart, but come to the Lord with all your jagged wounds, black bruises, and running sores. He alone can heal, and he delights to do it. It is our Lord's office to bind up the brokenhearted, and he is gloriously at home in it. Listen, your best days, my best days, as dark as it may be today in your life, as impossible as your circumstances or your relationships or your heart feels like tomorrow is going to be as impossible as it seems, our best days are always ahead of us in Jesus. Always. Our best days are never behind us. Never, ever. We are always moving from glory to glory. And I've been there. I've been down at the bottom. I've battled depression, and I've felt lost in my own life, and I haven't known what to do. And I just want you to know it's always going to get better. In Jesus, we have light and love and hope because eternity is ours. So we gather up all our little inadequate (laughs) supplies, and we bring them to Jesus, and we say, keeping it real, Jesus. This is all we got to work with. And he tells us to open our mouth. So then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. So here we see Jesus. He breaks open the loaves. He opens up his mouth and he gives thanks. Jesus knows it's not enough to feed all these people. He's not, you know, clueless, right? He recognizes he's not breaking 10,000 loaves. He knows it's a small offering, but he gives thanks anyways. Are you doing that in your life? It's hard. Oh, it's so hard to say, this is all I've got, and I'm going to be grateful and hopeful that it's going to be enough in the end. Because what Jesus does here is, in the Greek, it's called eulogio. That word for give thanks is eulogio. And eulogio means to give thanks, to bless, to extol, to lift up. Eulogio is used a lot of times in the New Testament, like um, when Jesus breaks the bread at the Last Supper. That's eulogio. He gives thanks, eulogio. But this is my favorite one. After Jesus has been crucified and is resurrected, before he ascends to the Father, he appears to the disciples. And right before he ascends, he eulogios the disciples. Isn't that cool? So Jesus looks at the disciples and he gives thanks for them. He blesses them. Eulogio is what Jesus does with something small that he is going to make great in his kingdom. It's so cool. That is what gratitude and thanksgiving can do in our lives. You come to Jesus and you bring your tiny offering and he eulogios it. So One day I was in a Tex-Mex restaurant with a friend having lunch without kids, miracle, and um, we had like, we were the last people in there. Everybody had pretty much cleared out. The lunch crowd was done, and we're talking, 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 and she looks at me and she's like, so what's it really like to be a pastor's wife? And the truth is, sometimes it's amazing. You know, I get to literally have a front row seat to see what God does a lot of Sundays. And then in people's lives, too, I get to hear their victories. I get to 
be the one who hears about where they start and then where God ends, you know, with them. And I get to see their kids get restored to them. I get to see marriages restored. I get to help people walk through hard things, which is beautiful and humbling. And I get to hear the sermon two times every Sunday. (laughs) Awesome. Um, But this particular day in the Tex-Mex restaurant, I was feeling a little less of the awesomeness and a little more of the, this is hard to be a part of God's plan thing. And so I sat there in front of my Tex-Mex plate and I saw, you know, enchiladas are gone. Queso bowl is licked clean because, oh my God, I love queso. And um, sitting there looking at it and I noticed still on the plate is a copious serving of rice and beans. And it hits me like a mariachi band right in the face. And I look at her and I go, you know, sometimes being a pastor's wife is like being a side order of rice and beans. You know, nobody ordered me. I just sort of came with my husband. I don't even have to be all that great. People just hope I'm not terrible. And then my friend and I kind of like stare at each other for a minute, survey the room, and table after table, pastor's wives everywhere. It's just (laughs) plates of rice and beans as far as the eye can see. And then she turns and she looks at me in the eye and she goes, but you're not rice and beans. You're tableside guacamole. And you know what? She's right. I am tableside guacamole. And so are you because God ordered us. He put us here on the plate because he loves us. He delights in us. He has a plan for us and a future for us. And there's always a reason to give him praise for that. You are guacamole. You're the fancy kind of guacamole that they like fix up right next to the table. And everybody goes, ooh. You know, they roll that card out and everyone watches it go to see what table it's going to. That's who you are in God's kingdom, in your marriage, in your family, at your job place, wherever you go, when you walk out these doors and back into your life, you're on that cart. And God's just strolling you out into the world because you're tableside guacamole. But it doesn't feel like it sometimes. My friend was doing for me that day the same thing Jesus did when he broke those loaves. She was eulogizing me. She was looking at my lack and blessing it. And when you do that, when you look at the lack and you face the reality and you speak God's word over it and you call forth what is not as though it were, When you do that, you create an abundance. God can make something out of nothing. Because we all have soul lack sometimes. And what we've got to do, what we have to learn to do, and it is learned for each other and for ourselves, we've got to pick up that soul lack. Pick up that lack in our community group. Pick up that lack in our our 
job, pick up that lack in our child's life, pick up that lack in our marriage. We look at it, we face the music, and we say, oh, but God, oh, but God, but there is a God who loves us and has called us, says in the word, he's called us because he loves us. And it is his love that's going to get us through, and we are going to make it, and we are going to do hard things, and we are going to be amazing in him because he's made us for his glory. And so once we've blessed it, once we've said what God has already said about us. Okay, this is not about finding a nice pin on Pinterest that somebody made up and being like, that's my new motto. This is about going to the word and finding out what God has already said, because I promise you it's better than anything on Pinterest. Okay? It's better than any self-help, anything else you can think. Now, those things may help you get to the gospel, but oh, what's in that Bible will transform your life. It won't just make you feel better. It'll change you. It will create an abundance in your soul. So we have this abundance, right? And now we need an open life. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So when you really think about what Jesus is doing here in Mark 6, it just changes how you want to live your life, how you choose to live your life. He handed the disciples this tiny offering and told them not to stop caring for the people, okay? Not to stop caring for other people, not make sure you eat, right? Not be sure to to take care of yourselves, guys. I need you. He's like, go and feed my people. It's a picture of who Jesus is and who he would be and what his plan was for them and for us. Because Jesus is showing us that broken bread can feed the world and that a broken life can save the world. One tiny broken life can save you and everyone you know. Jesus is the bread of life. And he gives us breadcrumbs. And he asks us to open up our life, go out there, and feed people, care for people. Everybody's story is a little different, obviously, thankfully. And um, mine kind of started, mine started with Jesus, my Jesus story. Started on the college campus. I was 18 years old. You do the math. 18. I said 22, so I'm 40. Yes! <clears throat> that was a hard one. Um, everybody says it's just a number, but it's not. Uh, so... I got saved on college campus, and I had what most college students have, which is a lot of lack. I had a lack of money. I had a lack of time. I had a real lack of energy, and I had lack of boyfriend. That was the hardest one. And I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, and I knew that the clock was ticking, and I was going to have to be making some major life decisions in the next few years, and that was overwhelming for me, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. But I knew one thing. I knew that I wanted to live for Jesus. So I decided to just do whatever I could for Jesus right where I was. I started passing out breadcrumbs, going to Bible study, telling my friends about Christ. I wasn't very good at it. You don't have to be good at passing out breadcrumbs to pass them out. And um, I don't know if any life was ever impacted for eternity whatsoever after I open-air preached on the UCLA campus. It's 
possible. It wasn't um, <clears throat> very possible when I was 20 years old. I wasn't very effective. But by the end of my time in college, I really, I knew God better. And I knew myself better because I had opened up my hands enough times to see what was really there. So mercifully, I graduated, got a job I loved and had amazing friends. And I was part of this incredible church, not this one, but another one in LA and loved it. And I just didn't, but I still kind of had a lot of lack, you know, just graduated, not making much money. I started passing out breadcrumbs again, just sort of got involved with things that were bigger than my life and tried to love Jesus and tell people that I love Jesus, which was awkward always. And, um, just passed out breadcrumbs. And I found God faithful again to meet me, to love me, to grow me. It's not hard. It's just scary to do those things. And then fell in love, moved to Austin, got married. I left behind all my friends, the career I was dreaming of doing for the rest of my life. I left my favorite Starbucks that had an actual fireplace in it. And like a barista who would let me stay there all day, I gave all that up for him. I know. Baby, you are worth it. And my life totally changed. And so I show up here and I'm like, who am I now? I've changed everything. But I still knew one thing. I knew I wanted to live for Jesus. And so I started passing out breadcrumbs and got a job on campus tutoring student athletes and met with girls from the campus ministry in Jester and tried to help them figure out the questions I still hadn't answered about my own life and (laughs) love them like I had been loved. It's just breadcrumbs. That's all I've got. It's not a lot, but it's what God's called me to do. He's not asking me for anything more. Just bring what I've got and pass it out. And then... I had three babies in 27 months. And I died. (sighs) Aaron Day knows what I'm talking about. I died. I died a million deaths. And, um, And in those dark nights of motherhood, where my life felt unbelievably small and empty in a lot of ways, I still knew one thing for sure. I wanted to live for Jesus. And so what else could I do? I changed diapers and made bottles as a form of worship. These are the breadcrumbs I was given. That was my season. That was the place I was in. That was what I had in my hands. That was all I had. I would rock three crying babies at one time because hello, zero, one, two. I would rock three crying babies at one time and I would sing Amazing Grace and What a Friend We Have in Jesus, not because they needed to hear it, but because I did. I needed to remember how faithful he was to me. When everything I had seemed so small and nothingness. And someday, should the Lord tarry, as they say, those children are going to move out of our house. Hallelujah. (laughs) Become awesome, fully functioning, responsible adults on their own somewhere. In Jesus' name. 
calling forth what's not as though it were. And I'm going to have to figure my life out all over again. But you know what I know for sure? Because I've already decided. I am going to want to live for Jesus most of all. Whatever happens, whatever happens, whatever comes my way, whatever difficult thing we face, I know it's going to be weird and awful and there are going to be bad things and good things and scary things and wonderful things because this is life and life is all of that at once, right? We get all that. It's a package deal. But I've pre-chosen in my heart, come what may, there is one person who loves me like I don't deserve to be loved Every day, no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter what my attitude is, Jesus is with me and for me and loves me and is here to prosper me and carry me and help me and pick me up and light my path no matter what. He's so worth it. He's so worth it. I've pre-chosen. Because my best days are ahead of me in him. And I know in season after season of my life, no matter how low we've gone, he always comes and rescues us. And Psalm 37 is just true. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. You want a brave, meaningful life? Delight in God. Most of all, pass out your breadcrumbs. Live for the sake of something bigger than yourself. Live for love and for justice and for mercy and for goodness and for kindness and for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because no one's ever loved us like Jesus loves us. We should not be able to get enough of him. There is more of him than we could ever need. He is always enough for us, making us enough, crying out over us, eulogying us, turning us into an abundance. He's so good to us when we open up our lives. Our story in Mark 6 is really just a foreshadowing of what would happen to Jesus himself one day. He would be broken for us, and it would seem like the end, and it would seem like it wasn't going to be enough, but then he would rise. And for all of you here today who are looking at some kind of emptiness or death or darkness, for you who feel like being vulnerable is going to mean being broken more, I just want you to know it probably is. But it will be worth it because you know what Jesus' vulnerability got us? Healing, salvation, and restoration. Those are ours in him. So to be a real person of courage, open up your hands, see what you've got. Open up your mouth, speak a blessing, speak God's word over it. Open up your life. Pass out the breadcrumbs of the bread of life. And you'll find yourself in a new place. In Jesus' name.